Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. I witnessed Bloody Sunday. Don Mullen was a schoolboy, witness to the tragic events of Bloody Sunday, and vividly recalls the shooting dead of Michael Kelly. He joins me now. Good morning to you, Don, and thank you for taking time to talk to us this morning. No, thank you, Alan. I'm delighted to join you in the show. Thank you so much. A very close friend of mine, Father Brian Darcy, shared with us one of the most powerful pieces of radio I've ever broadcast on this programme. It's up there as a podcast. He described vividly the bell tolling, the people being laid out and buried after Bloody Sunday in Derry, and the singing, I think it was Near My God to Thee by the boy soprano. If you missed it, it's up as a podcast. It was on Monday's edition of the programme. And he talked to me about you, Don, and about what you witnessed, because he said, I was at the funerals, but Don was there. What did you witness on Bloody Sunday, Don? Well, it, Alan, it was my first civil rights march. I was 15. My parents had given me permission. And the day, you know, was a sunny day. It was a cold day, crisp. There was a carnival atmosphere. No one had any thought or any inclination that we were literally descending into the Valley of Tears uh, that it turned out to be. And um, uh, there was a little bit of rioting going on, but it was minor in comparison to some of the stuff that, you know, I had witnessed. Uh, before and after Bloody Sunday, uh, but clearly there was, you know, a plan. And um, and when the paratroopers made their advance, uh, initially we thought it was just a, a snatch squad until the shooting began. And uh, I found myself in the vortex, uh, literally, of, of the killing fields. And the sound that I recall most uh, from Bloody Sunday is certainly the shooting, but it's the sound... Of, of a voice and it was Michael Kelly and it was a grunt and it was you know as as the bullet penetrated his flesh and he fell literally two and a half feet um, just to my left and slightly forward and um, it could have been you you know uh, it could have been you well it could have been and and it was actually a ricochet uh, that 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 felled uh, young Michael Kelly so I mean I often think you know depending on the action maybe it it hit him rather than me and he could have shielded me. And uh, But then, you know, um, there was then other shooting as well, and I was conscious of people falling on the barricade to my right when suddenly there was, uh, like how I describe it, it was like a firecracker. It was the wall burst above my head, and bits of masonry and brick kind of came around us. And uh, suddenly we realized this is very dangerous, really, really dangerous. Like, and... I began to run, as did other people. And the last thing I recall was someone shouting, get down, get down, they're firing live ammunition. And after that, my mind is a blank. There are three, four minutes of that day, the memory of which I have never been able to recover. All I recall is that I had ascended steep steps from the bottom of what we call the new road onto Beechwood Avenue. Mm-hmm. And a woman's voice brought me back to reality, and she said, son, what's happening? And I looked at her, and I said, Mrs., there must be at least six people dead. I don't know why I said that, but that's what I said. And, of course, in the area where I was, there was eight people killed, you know? So uh, I just think that it was almost like a primeval instinct that had taken over me, and uh, I was unashamedly running home to right. safety, as as many people were doing, you know. What age were you, Don? Uh, you say you were. Uh, I was fifteen. I was fifteen years of age right. uh, okay. at that stage, you know. And then it was the silence then in Derry. You know, the silence is something that I'll never forget. 
you know, like it really was a community trauma. And uh, even the next day, my best friend, Shawnee McLaughlin, called for me and we went down and we retraced our steps. And I brought him to the rubble barricade and I showed him where Michael Kelly was. And I always remember looking across, you know, at the Roswell Flats and there was a first floor flat and there was uh, six bullet holes in the windows. And um, they had been fired at an Italian photographer called Fulvio Grimaldi, who was trying to photograph the bodies on the barricade. And some of the most dramatic um, recordings we have of Bloody Sunday is actually of uh, his girlfriend, an English woman called Susan North. And she was recording when these bullets came through, and you can hear the panic and the terror in in the people's voices, you know. And, uh, and then Shawnee and I crossed the Roswell Street, and... There was the blue and white civil rights banner that we carried the day before. Now it was heavily bloodstained, and it had been used to cover the body of Barney McGuigan. Barney McGuigan was a beautiful uh, community man. He was 41 years of age. I still think of him as the old man of Bloody Sunday because I. it's almost like a, a fossilized memory in that... Um, I, I think of him as, from the perspective of a 15-year-old, here I am, now I'm 65. Right. Uh, but I still think of Barney McGuigan as the old man at Bloody Sunday. But Barney could hear Paddy Doherty, who was out in the forecourt of the Roswell Flats. And Bar- uh, Paddy was wounded, he was dying, and he he knew he was dying, and he was calling, please help me, please help me, I'm dying. And several times Barney went to go and help him, but... Um, People met, remonstrated and said, Barney is too dangerous. Wait, wait, wait. But still, Paddy kept calling. And eventually, Barney took out a handkerchief, a bit like Bishop Daly, and he began to wave it as he cowered over and slowly made his way towards, um, you know, Paddy Doherty. But yeah. behind him, in Roswell, uh, or sorry, the Glenfada Park area, Soldier F knelt down, took Barney in his sights, and the bullet went under Barney's left ear and came out over his right eye. And uh, when Barney fell, his head just ran like an open tap. And there was this pool of blood uh, of two or three feet. It was one of the most horrific sights that one could imagine. And, uh, and you, so saw that, my, you saw that happen? I didn't see it happen. I mean, I don't know if I saw it happen, you know. You but, can't remember. I don't yeah. think so, because... No, but but I mean, but there were people at the telephone kiosk beside Barney who saw it happen. And know? described it. But the described, one, yeah. Yeah, and what, what, what I remember was that the next day when I went there with, with, with Shawnee was there was the Blue and White Civil Rights banner stained by the blood of Barney McGuigan. And on, on the Blue and White uh, bloodstained banner was a brick. And in the brick, or on the brick, was an open Bow Peak matchbox. I still remember it so vividly. And in the matchbox was a human eyelid and eyelashes, and someone had picked it up, and it was obviously Barney's, you know, from from oh that God. that day. So that's, you know, that's horrific. That's Don. Can I just ask you a couple of questions in relation to yeah. the instigation of it? I mean, I discussed this with the late Martin McGuinness in Southeast Radio when he went for the presidential election, and I asked him straight: um, Was all this instigated by the IRA? Um, I, his answer was no. Um, I asked him: Was he also on active duty with the IRA when it took place? His answer was no. Um, he told me about his own horrific journey. He saw his dad kicked down the stairs by British soldiers. He, he shared some very strong memories with me. Um, who do you think instigated this? Was this instigated by the British Army? Yeah, well, you know, I write about this in the new introduction to Eyewitness Bloody Sunday, 
which, you know, is quite a politically influential book and is credited as being one of the primary catalysts for the new uh, Bloody Sunday Inquiry, which became the longest-running and most expensive in British legal history. But one of the things I say is that I believe it was the last ditch effort by the old unionist regime to so traumatise our community we would be beaten back into submission for two or three generations. Of course, the opposite happened. Right. And uh, and in fact, what they actually succeeded in doing was killing the non-violent civil rights movement, right. and they handed the initiative to the men of violence. So who instigated the it then, Don, by your understanding? Well, well, oh, I have no doubt about it, that uh, that it was um, the old Unionist government in, in uh, conversation with the British Army. Right. Uh, this was a major, major operation, and I think what they had planned was that if the IRA had engaged them, and they thought there might be a firefight, uh, that, um, you know, then they had a huge, you know, uh, force of the paratroopers as kind of the, the frontline force, the stormtroopers going in, and then they had a lot of then other regiments ready to, to move in to take down their go, no-go areas. Right. Uh, I also think that this is uh, what happened because, you know, if you really want to incense people, what you do, you, you attack the old and the young. And... 20 minutes before the paratroopers went in, the army opened up and they shot 15-year-old Damien Donaghy, who, whom I played football with in, in the school team, and they shot 59-year-old uh, John Johnson, who later died of his, his wounds. Now, they knew that the IRA had agreed to stay, stay away, mainly in the, in the Cregan. And, uh, and I think what they were hoping is that by right. shooting these young and old, that the word would go back, they'd opened up in the crowd, and that... The, the IRA would come down in force into the area and that there, there would be a firefight. Um, that didn't happen. There were some gunmen, yes, uh, and we know that after those two shots, there was one shot fired in the direction of the army, known as the drainpipe shot, and people around remonstrated and told the guy to F off. And uh, and then Bishop Daly saw one guy with a handgun firing, but no soldier. There was one soldier shot that day and he shot himself through the foot. He, he dislodged um, uh, a bullet, you right. know, as he was standing. Okay. And, and that was the only injury uh, on the day. There was, right. you know... I, I've got to wrap it up for the moment. I've thoroughly enjoyed yeah. chatting to you. It's Eyewitness Bloody Sunday, The Truth. Uh, I just want to take two other aspects before we do wrap up. First of all, your book created a sensation when you offered a plausible hypothesis that uh, three yeah. of the Bloody Sunday dead were shot by, was it an individual British Army sniper firing from the vicinity of the Derry Walls? Uh, have you already yeah. referred to that and what you talked about the people that you mentioned who fell? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I raise it again. I'm not sure that the inquiry uh, actually sufficiently answered that question. And uh, so I go through all of the evidence. Uh, again, there was, uh, you know, we have an eyewitness showing very clearly that William Nash was running towards Freeberry Corner when he fell back. If that, he maintained that position, then he did his back to the paratroopers. It was a, an almost identical 45-degree downward trajectory wound, which was also the same wound as sustained by uh, Michael McDade and John Young. Uh, we also have a photograph of Michael McDade literally two or three seconds before he shot dead, and he's walking in the direction of Free Dairy Corner with his back to the paratroopers. Again, you know, that indicates that if he maintained that position, he could only have been shot from the dairy walls um we there's so many so many other things uh you know evidence that i have I've built up including the fact that you know after the announcement by the british government that there was going to be a new bloody something inquiry the british ministry of defense deliberately 
uh, although they would claim it was done by accident, but I believe it was uh, as an act of contempt towards this decision, they actually destroyed quite a number of bloody Sunday weapons that were of interest to the new inquiry, and amongst them was a recalibrated Lee Enfield sniper's rifle, rifle uh, which had been altered to fire 7.62 millimeter bullets, which of course was the same bullets that were being fired by the paratroopers at ground level. You know, so there's there's just so many unanswered questions right. there, yeah. and and I'm not sure if it was properly investigated, and and I raised that in in the book and in. Appendix B of, of the book, which I think people would find fascinating. Right. Uh, it's powerful to listen to you. Uh, people may agree or disagree with you, but I'm sure they won't ignore because, again, as I mentioned about Father Brian's description, your descriptions today are completely eye-opening. Thank you for taking our call this morning, Don. We'll talk to you soon. Good morning to you okay, now. Okay, thank you very much, Alan. Take not, care. Not at all. A pleasure. Bye-bye. That was uh, Eyewitness Bloody Sunday, the truth, penned by the author who was a schoolboy witness to the tragic events of Bloody Sunday, Don Mullen. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix.